I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology, and in today's episode of the podcast, I'm talking with Dutch designer Richard Hutton, who's on the line from his home in Rotterdam. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Richard. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be chatting to you. Where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from uh, Rotterdam, the Netherlands. And are you at home or in the studio? I'm at home. Uh, since this whole corona shit, I'm uh, working from home <laughs> and that's really a pleasure. That's good to hear. Well, I want to start our conversation today by doing a bit of a rewind and maybe uh, actually going back to earlier on in your life, maybe your childhood. Uh, and asking if you remember when you first understood, you know, what design was and perhaps that that was what you wanted to pursue as a career path. Do you remember when that was? Well, uh, the word design didn't exist in Holland when I was young. Uh, so uh, all my life I've been uh, making things. Uh, and then at the age of 16, I had to decide what to study. And then uh, a friend of mine said, oh, I'm I'm going to the, to the open days of the... Uh, uh, Academy for Industrial Design in Eindhoven and said, oh, what's that industrial design? And uh, then he explained to me that uh, that all the products which come out of factories are designed and uh, that was the study and said, oh, wow, that's fantastic. I'm going there. <laughs> uh, and that was around when I was, was 16. And uh, I ended up uh, at the Design Academy in Eindhoven uh, and that's where I studied. So. Around 16, I found out that what I was doing all my life, uh, that could be my job. That's amazing. And so, you know, the Design Academy in Eindhoven has such a wonderful reputation. What was your experience like um, studying there? Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, the academy was in a, in a transition uh, period, so there was a lot of uh, energy among the students, which uh, helped us a lot. At that time, when I started to study, it was called... Uh, Academy for Industrial Design and they were in the transition of the curriculum and they changed their name and all the teachers and the staff were focusing on this transition and not on us and uh, there was a really good energy of course I came from the uh, uh, golden generation of the Design Academy uh, Hella Jongerius was there, Jurgen Bij was there, Tord Boontjes was there uh, Peter and Eek was there, so uh, a lot of these people who became uh, uh, household names in, in design were, were my classmates and it was uh, really good energy and we were pushing each other and it was fantastic. Mm, that sounds like a really exciting time. And I believe that you were part of um, like a student show that was during Milan either as a graduate or later on in your years at, um, at Eindhoven uh, that kind of became the impetus or the kind of launch of um, what is known as drog design. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing that right, but um, for anyone that may not be familiar with the movement, could you sort of describe, you know, what the, um, the ethos was behind that first exhibition and how it uh, kind of, um, you know, morphed and changed after that? That was in the, in the early 90s, in 1993. Uh, René Raamakers, who was editor-in-chief of, of uh, 
design magazine in Holland. And Gijs Bakker, who actually was uh, my head of the department I was studying at the Design Academy, they, they noticed that a bunch of these young uh, designers uh, in Holland were working uh, with the same spirit in design, uh, which was unique in the world. Uh, and they said, we, we really have to show this to the rest of the world. This is important. Uh, uh, we have to, to show this in Milan. Uh, do you want to join? I said, yeah, yeah, of course I want to join. And that was, that was 1993, uh, yeah? so there was no, uh, no internet. Uh, 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 our designs developed in sort of uh, uh, isolation from the rest of the world. And then the work of like a handful of designers, uh, Marcel Wanders was there, uh, Hella Jungerius was there, uh, I was there. We did a, we did a small uh, sh uh, uh, show in Milan. Uh, and uh, actually it uh, hit like a bomb in the whole design world. Uh, all of a sudden these young designers came up with very conceptual work, uh, uh, talking about uh, sustainability, recycling, uh, etc. Uh, all topics which were totally new to the design world. And uh, I became uh, world famous literally overnight. And you mentioned the, the spirit of the movement. Would you say that that spirit is, is something that you know you consider to be part of your work still today? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, the movement is called droog, droog design, and droog is the Dutch word for dry. And uh, we also had a lot of dry humor in in uh, in our work uh, and irony, and uh, definitely that is still part of of what I'm doing today. Uh, so I'm mm. I'm 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 a very critical designer. I'm uh, I'm an activist and. Um, uh, that spirit from the early days is, is still valid today for me. Mm. I'm going to come back to the activism in a minute, but you know, I think maybe one of the easiest ways to characterise your work would be with words like optimism and fun and playfulness. They seem to be a big part of your work. Can you tell us why you consider that to be so important? And you know, what, what do you say to people who might say that design is supposed to be serious? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I can tell you fun is very serious. <laughs> if, if you don't, don't take your fun serious, it's no fun. If you and I play Monopoly and you come on my street with my hotel and you uh, have to pay me a lot of money and you're not going like, ah, damn, oh, now I'm bankrupt. But you say, oh, whatever, then it's no fun. Uh, the fact that you really take it serious, your fun, that makes, makes it fun. Uh, so fun is per definition uh, uh, serious, uh, it's also very uh, uh, intellectual uh, uh, to have fun uh, uh, and in the end that's, that's why we are here, to, to enjoy our lives. Uh, so I think uh, the fun part is, is, is uh, really, really important. I had a lot of fights with my teachers at the Design Academy when I was making fun things because it was not considered serious, but I think uh, 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 fun is per definition very serious. And how do you how do you make sure that you're having fun? Like, how do you build that into every day and every project? Is there a um, is there a methodology? There is no methodology, yeah, but of course, it's it's uh, it's my nature and it's my my attitude and it's the way I I, I stand in life. 
Uh, so uh, uh, I'm not designing only designing products. I'm designing my life, and uh, my work is an expression of how I see the world and how I uh, want the world to be. Mm. And so you you have you know you were talking you mentioned activism just before you've spoken uh, at length about your passion for sustainability and leaving the planet in a better shape than when you arrived and also about a circular economy how do you how does this impact um, who you choose to work with and the types of projects that you choose to work on. Uh, yeah, that's that's super that's super important. Uh, so. Uh, uh, a lot of colleagues uh, of mine say uh, I'm sustainable because I make beautiful uh, products, uh, and that is of course, of course, uh, not enough. Uh, you you really have to be picking uh, your proje uh, projects. Uh, so of course, uh, the lifespan of a product product is is an important aspect uh, uh, of the design. If you make throwaway products, it's per definition wrong. Uh, so I try to focus uh, on clients who make uh, 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 very durable uh, products. And then, of course, the principles of the circular economy are important. Huh? So uh, uh, is it long lasting? Can you repair it? Uh, uh, does it have an afterlife? Uh, and is it recyclable in the end? And also what's very important is uh, how big is the footprint on, on the planet during the, the whole production uh, cycle? Mm. And do you, you know, feel the need to be an expert in all of these areas? There's obviously a lot to know about materials and recycling and reuse. Um, and, you know, a circular economy is a different model to, you know, the economy that we, we currently live with. Or do you rely on the partners that you're working with to kind of have these understandings around materiality and, and production processes? No, I have a lot, a lot of knowledge about it because it's my passion. Uh, so I'm, I, I think it's very important and therefore, therefore I know a lot and it's actually the other way around. A lot of my clients come to me for advice on this topic, uh, so uh, which which I'm very happy about uh, because then uh, I can not only design a nice uh, uh, product for them, but I also can uh, design the way they produce. And uh, and then the impact gets bigger. Uh, so I want to do, do projects which have impact. And if I can uh, change the mentality of, of a client, uh, that is that is a big win. Mm. And so does that, does that make you feel optimistic about the future? I mean, you seem to be naturally optimistic by nature. Um, I'm naturally you know, optimistic. At, at times I can be pessimistic because it's really going wrong. Uh, but I still have hope that it's, one day it will go right. Uh, we had this uh, 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 corona uh, uh, shit happening, which was like a reset button of the world. Uh, we have to rethink uh, the way... Uh, uh, we uh, we uh, work with nature, we're part of nature, instead of we have to fight nature, we're part of it. Now we have this uh, whole uh, Ukraine war, which shows our dependency on, on fossil fuels from, from uh, Russia, which is, is really uh, 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 an eye-opener to show the world that we have to change it. Uh, so uh, all the crises we had so far are part of the bigger crisis, which is the environmental crisis, and all these crises hopefully help uh, to solve the real crisis, uh, which is the environmental crisis.
Mm. Do you see things changing fast enough, though? I mean, you're based in a country that's obviously very advanced and um, quite liberal, um, but you're working on projects and with clients, you know, internationally. Do, do you see enough changing and fast enough, though? Or is that why you're pessimistic sometimes? <laughs> it's not going fast enough. Uh, and, and it's too often economics prevail uh, above uh, health. And, uh, of course, politicians... Uh, uh, by nature have a, a short-term uh, vision. Eh? It's only until the next election. And this is a problem which, which goes beyond that. Eh? So uh, it's definitely not going fast enough. It's definitely going too slow. Uh, but uh, but the, the, the two crises uh, we had and have uh, uh, are expediting things, which, which makes me happy. Uh, to give you an example, I'm now at home. I uh, unplugged my home from, from gas 12 years ago. Uh, and it's now energy neutral, uh, totally sustainable. And uh, I spend a lot of money on it, I, I can tell you. And everybody said, you're crazy. Why are you, why are you doing it? And I said, I do it for my, my children. But you, you, you will never uh, earn this money back, they said. I said, I, I earn it from the day I do it because I make a better planet. And everybody said, you're crazy. And uh, now it became the regulations in, in Holland, at least. And everybody calls me a visionaire. Uh, so within, within, within a, a decade, I, I, I turned from, from, from crazy to visionaire. And uh, 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 in, in the near future, uh, my grandchildren will say, is it really true that you burned oil when you were young? Yeah, that, that, that is how the future will be. And at least I can say to my grandchildren that I, I, uh, um, I did my best not to do so. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, you said that not enough is happening. What, what, do you still, what do you see that still needs to happen? What regulations need to be in place? You know, what changes to our economy and um, just systems that are in place? What else needs to change? Uh, the... Top priority should, should be the, uh, the energy uh, transition. Uh, we, we really have to get rid of oil, coal, and gas. Uh, uh, and we can do it. Uh, the technology is there. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's even cheaper to do so with this, this soaring oil and gas prices. Uh, so this, this energy transition uh, should, should really go fast uh, and then uh, the materials which are made out of oil uh, plastics in all kinds of shapes and, uh, and typologies they should should be banned as much much as possible uh, plastic is is not recyclable plastic uh, gives you uh, cancer uh, that that should be banned it's also not a nice material uh, so i prefer wood and 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 wool and and natural materials way better than i i i like plastic I wish I could get you on the phone to uh, the Australian Prime Minister about your dislike for all oil and yeah, yeah, yeah. coal He's and gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's crazy. He's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so on that note, do you think maybe more designers should be going into politics? Should they become becoming leaders and, and being more vocal about these issues like yourself? Uh yeah, 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 yeah. It would, would be good, but I'm not a good politician, I'm afraid. I've, I've been thinking about it. Eh? And then, uh, then uh, the, the, the cultural and the playful aspect should become the part of the politics to get the message over. Uh, I, should, I should do it, but I'm, I don't think uh, I can do it. I'm not the right person for it, but I have really have uh, 
political aspirations, but uh, not yet. Okay. Well, well, we'll keep an ear to the ground then for that. Um, changing subject slightly, I want to go back to Rotterdam, which is where you said you're based. And I've heard you talk in the past about living and working there and the city's ability to provide mental and physical space. And, um, you know, there's a number of architects and designers that live there. And, you know, I, I kind of really like the sound of, of mental space. I just like that concept. And I, I wonder how important you think that is for creative people to have some mental space in the cities that they live in. I think it's super, super, super important uh, because uh, uh, creativity is about freedom and uh, about uh, coming up with things nobody came up with before. And if you don't have the mental uh, space to do so, uh, you cannot be creative. And so, uh, and of course, Rotterdam is not perfect, but uh, uh, at least uh, a, a lot of people here are really open for it. And like you mentioned, we have a lot of uh, world famous architects, uh, artists, designers from here, and it's a small community. So I meet, I meet all of them. And, uh, and that is a really uh, vivid, uh, dynamic environment, which I really, really enjoy. Mm. I've never visited. So I'm curious, how would you describe the city, um, you know, from an urban uh, landscape or an architectural perspective to anyone who hasn't been there before? What does it look like? How does it feel? Uh, 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 thanks, thanks to the Second uh, World War, Rotterdam became uh, the most modern city uh, in Europe. Uh, we got, we got uh, uh, bombed by the Germans, we got bombed by the Brits. Uh, uh, so the whole city centre got bombed and now we have uh, uh, a skyline. Uh, some people call it uh, Manhattan on the river, the Maas. And, uh, it is a relatively a small uh, city, uh, but with a real skyline. Until uh, 10, 15 years ago, we were the, the biggest harbor in the world until the Asian harbors took over, but we're still the, the biggest uh, harbor in, uh, in, in Europe, uh, which gives a lot of uh, international uh, vibe to the city. Uh, people and ships from all over uh, the world come to uh, Rotterdam and my studio is in the docks and then I see a ship in front of of, of my studio from Panama and then uh, from from India and it really gives an international uh, vibe to the city. Mm, that sounds lovely but you've obviously been you know grounded if not all of the last two years but most of it and I imagine you must have been traveling quite a bit before that so how how has the experience of the last two years been for you without being able to visit manufacturers and you know I guess the whole prototyping process as a designer like yourself if you're not actually physically there how have you found uh, the last two years and how's that impacted how you've been working uh, I actually really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so it was uh, a, a big step, big advantage. Um, and of course, it's it's total bullshit to travel for uh, two hours meeting to Shenzhen or to New York or wherever. Uh, so this this whole zooming uh, has now become uh, the standard, uh, which which is really good. Uh, of course. Uh, it could be nice at some points to 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 visit the factories and to meet in in person, 
Uh, but uh, we learned that it's not always necessary. Huh? So of course, when there's a launch moment, uh, you have to be there. Uh, but um, uh, for example, uh, I got invited by my dear friend Luca Niteto for a, a glass project in uh, in uh, 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 Murano in Venice. And we, we all did it online. Eh? So uh, there was a guy from the furnace, there was Luca in Stockholm, there was me in Rotterdam. And online we discussed every, every detail and it came out amazing. Eh? So it is possible that, that, uh, that, that uh, you do it without being physically there. And uh, that's a big advantage. Mm, absolutely. I think a lot of people would agree that... Uh... Yeah, traveling for meetings may be um, hugely reduced, which is certainly not a bad thing. But are you looking forward to traveling for pleasure again, though? Oh, well, actually, I've been traveling during the whole Corona period because my youngest son lives in Denmark. So every second week I, I travel to Denmark and airports were like ghost cities. Uh, all shops were closed, uh, just a handful of people there. It was really, really uh, surreal. But uh, already before Corona, I tried to reduce traveling as much as I could. And uh, uh, I plan to keep on doing so. Uh, but yeah, I will be traveling again. Last September I was in, in Milan during the uh, Salone. It was the most quiet uh, Salone ever. And it was the best Salone ever. Eh? So it was... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, not so many people were there. Uh, people who were there uh, really had time. Uh, and of course, the nice weather and uh, the nice food also helped. Uh, but uh, I... I had time. I wasn't running from one meeting to another. Uh, I had time to, to, to talk to the people I met and uh, that was really, really good. Mm, that sounds great. Are you planning to go to Milan again this year? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, um, uh, Milan was scheduled in April, uh, which got cancelled, but I, I, I booked uh, uh, my flight uh, and I have a nice uh, uh, apartment with a few on the Duomo, so super central in Milan. So I will go in April uh, uh, for, for business and pleasure and then in June again I will go. Nice. And do you have any thoughts on the future of, you know, these very traditional kind of trade fairs? I mean, Milan is obviously more than just Salone now. It's, you know, such a huge production. Um, but, you know, yeah, do you have any thoughts on the future of, of those kinds of events from a sustainability aspect, I suppose? From sustainable aspect, I, I, uh, I, I think that uh, local fairs uh, will, will gain importance. Uh, like uh, what you already see in, 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 for example, the Stockholm Furniture Fair, uh, all, the, all the Swedish companies, uh, they launch in, 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 uh, in, in the local fair, uh, which is also their, uh, their biggest market. And uh, uh, so I think fairs in the future will be more local with local companies producing local, selling local, uh, so the local aspects uh, in the future will become uh, more important. But it's also mm. wishful thinking, I must say. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, that's what I hope and uh, that's what I expect. 
you might be right. Well, look, we've covered a lot of territory in a short period of time, um, but I only have one more question for you. Um, you know, you've over your career been very widely published and exhibited and your work has been collected by numerous institutions and you've won numerous awards. Uh, what's next? You know, what have you yet to do that you would still like to do? As a designer, I always uh, uh, like to do something I never did before because then I can uh, experiment, I can play, I can discover. Uh, so, of course, I design a lot of chairs and I will keep on designing a lot of chairs. But what I really like to do is, is uh, uh, designing something uh, I never did. And actually, I'm, I'm working on a project now in, in, in Japan uh, of designing a house and I never designed a house and it was on my bucket list. So oh. uh, that is that is a really nice project to work on. That's exciting. Um, nothing else like a, you know, airline or boats or you've probably already been involved yes, in Yes, everything, projects. everything I never did, I would like to do. Uh, 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 like Einstein said, if you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. And I would like to do something different and uh, uh, um, whatever comes in my path. I, I'm not... Uh, I'm not having specific goals, except uh, the house was one, uh, but that I'm doing now. Uh, another nice thing is that during this uh, whole Corona period, I started to paint, uh, which which I uh, also really uh, like. It uh, gives me a lot of uh, uh, freedom and no clients, uh, nobody involved except me. And uh, uh, that is something uh, which, which I also really, really enjoy. Mm, that sounds really rewarding. Well, we... Hope to see the house when that's complete. That sounds really exciting. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, Richard. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you too. I enjoyed it. Good luck. Good luck.